podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined by Mr. Carl Matchett. And Mr. Matchett, the only way I can introduce you today is by saying good evening. Oh, don't start. Have we got to do this all day long? I don't want yes. to. Yes. I don't want to talk about him at all, in fact. Let's just do you have it to. all over again. No. This is the Carl Matchett derby. The team he loves, the manager he can't abide. It's the... It was the Albi Moreno derby until I realised that your dislike of Unai Emery is probably the funniest thing about this. And there is like 0.1% of me that wants us to get knocked out just so that I can that. Ce- we can oh. celebrate Unai Emery. <laughs> Mate, if that happens and you're happy about it, you'll be going top of your own prick of the week ranking. No, no, no. I, I didn't say I'd be happy about it. I said there was like 0.1%. <laughs> Outrageous, outrageous behaviour all around. Liverpool versus Villarreal in the Champions League semi-final. We will get to that. But before we get there, we have some questions that I wanted to do first. So, first question is from Tom James. So, rumour is Frankie Dion could push for a move this summer. Is that an avenue you you think Liverpool could explore and realistically get something done? Now, Patrick has said... Not sure it's worthwhile considering his role, best role is generally Thiago's role, but he's gen- definitely a great player. So Shamik has asked, would you consider Thiago plus cash for Frankie? Now we discussed this maybe last summer when this sort of thing got floated before. What are your thoughts on it and is it something you consider? Uh, I don't think I would, but it depends on who the midfielder we buy is because we're we're going on the assumption that we will be getting uh, a central midfielder this summer. We think that maybe Oxley Chamberlain maybe is one to depart. We've got to wait and see what happens with Navigator's contract, obviously. James Milner the same. So we think that centre mid might in generally in general be the position that we look to make a big addition in. You know, we've got one in the front line obviously with Luis Diaz mid mid season. We got Ibrahima Kanate last year. Tsimikas uh, was the year before, but he's this year started to make more of an impact. So stands to reason that midfield would be the area that we most concentrate on a, a senior. If we only make another one signing or one big name signing or big money signing or whatever, it might be there. So in principle, no, because I would expect it would be of a slightly younger age, uh, maybe around the you know Canate sort of age group that one we've spoken about before, where they can already be very very good first teamers, but we know that there's like a considerably higher ceiling for them to get to after a few years uh, being coached by Klopp and Linders and the rest of them. So I don't think that 
Thiago out and Frankie in is the way that we would go. I think Thiago now might go into that category of like uh, Mane, Firmino, that sort of ones who we keep hold of into you know the 30, 31, 32 sort of age group, make the yeah. best use of them we can. And you know whether or not they get sold later on, probably the, the resale value is not going to be the, the biggest factor there at all. I, I wouldn't have any problem, obviously, with getting Frankie de Jong in because I do like him very, very much. But I think I would want to get rid of Thiago and pay more money for it as well, considering the level that we've seen Thiago reach again now this season and knowing that it would probably take Frankie at least a year to get back up to that level. And they're not exactly like-for-like players either, let's remember. No, they're not. Frankie is probably closer to Naby stylistically than he is to Thiago. But what I would say is I don't think Frankie is on Thiago's level now. I think he will get there, but it could take him a couple of years. So in the short term, it's kind of downgrade. Now, in the longer term, yeah, I can see the logic for it. But with the way Thiago's playing and the way he plays, there's no real reason he couldn't continue to be an elite-level footballer for another three, four years. Like, look at Luka Modric, what he's doing at near 36 years of age. There's no reason Thiago can't play at an exceptional level that he's 34, 35. And I'd rather keep him and have it be him because we already have him in-house rather than spending a massive amount of money on Frankie that would potentially cost us having... Because we'd still need that other midfielder is the thing. Like, if we were to sell Thiago to bring him in, we'd still need someone to play on the right of the midfield because in our setup. Frankie would fit better on the left. So you'd have Frankie and Naby on the left, Fabinho and Henderson in the middle, somebody and Elliot or Jones or whoever on the right, or or both of those on the right. So we'd still need that right-sided player even bringing in Frankie, and we're now down what would probably be a substantial amount of money. I think our best focus is to get someone for that right-sided role. there's two types of midfielders that would sit. I always look at central midfielders, and I think you can break them down into three sort of um, sort of groups. You can have your you know creative attacking midfielders, your your De Bruyne's, your Bernardo Silva's, players like that. You can have your box to box midfielders, Henderson in his prime, but you know more suitably a Leon Goretzka type, that powerful runner from midfield. Or you have those controlling midfielders like Thiago, Naby, Ilkay Gundogan, uh, Cruz, Modric, those type of players. I don't think our style really wants us having two controllers in the team, even though it does work as we've seen with Naby and Thiago. I think Klopp would rather have a different type of midfielder there. I think he'd rather either have a Leon Goretzka type or... Someone who's like a better, older, more developed version of Harvey. So I was thinking about this the other day. If we have Naby and Thiago on the left, Fabinho and Henderson in the middle, and then somebody and Elliot on the right, and I was thinking someone like Love Romager from from Wren, who's stylistically similar to Harvey, plays a similar type of area, and would allow us to play the same way, regardless of whether it's him or Harvey there. Right now, depending on who that right-sided midfielder is, Henderson plays it one way, Naby plays it a different way, Harvey plays it another way. 
Jones plays it a different way. I'd rather us have some similarity there. Even though Thiago and Naby played the left-sided role slightly differently, the team still functions the same way. So for that reason, Frankie wouldn't be on my list. I'd rather someone like a Lavro Major, who I think we could get at a pretty reasonable price. Um, next question. This is from James. What do you make of the Darwin Nunes links today? Now, I would say that the only way we sign Darwin is if we sell Sadio. And our attack next season is like a seven-man group. So I'm factoring in Divock leaving and potentially Tacky leaving. To a front three, a starting three, a fourth forward who can cover all three positions and will start a ton, and then a backup three. So the starting three would be, for example, Salah, Nunes, Diaz, with Jota as that fourth forward. Because I think we both agree he's not necessarily starter quality, but he's a brilliant rotation option to bring in, can start across the line, and obviously a great option off the bench. And then your backup three for cups and stuff is Gordon, Bobby, and Carvalho, assuming that's how he's used for next season. What would your thought... Now, I don't think Nunes is the best fit. I, I think Nkunku would be a better fit. But what would your thoughts on signing Darwin Nunes be? I'd be surprised, to be honest. I think he's a lot more uh, traditional number nine, you know, runner of the channels, that kind of thing, the hold-up play and everything, than we're used to seeing under Klopp. And... For the outlay, I mean, he's obviously a very, very good player, very talented player, but I don't think it's a, an immediately natural fit the way he plays the way he'd play here. Let's say compared to um, Luis Diaz, for example, who was basically playing a very, very similar role other than some build-up play in that sort of half-space number eight sort of area. It's pretty much the same role as he was playing before. I don't think that that would quite be the same for Darwin Nunez. So for the amount of money that we would pay there versus, let's say, the amount of money outlay on a new contract and the sort of safety level that's there, if you like, on getting a new deal for Sadio Mane. I don't think that it would be the first port of call for this club to make the way that we generally do things. That is fair. That is fair. Now, if Sadio's looking for, let's say, a four-year deal, 300 grand a week, that's roughly 60 million plus a signing bonus, probably 70 million 75 million ish. The last two years of that contract are going to hurt because even though he has changed his game and he's having a good season, he's clearly not the player he was a couple of years ago. With Nunes, obviously the the price is whatever it would be 55, 65 million. And then you're talking contract on top of that. It's probably starting off at about 150 grand a week on a five year deal. That's seven and a half million, thirty-seven and a half. And you're probably talking an initial outlay on Darwin of about a hundred million. So the gap between the cost of renewing Mane for four years and signing Darwin for five years isn't going to be astronomical when you factor in Mane will want much bigger wages. But he's not the ideal fit. We would have to be looking at changing how we play. And maybe Jurgen Klopp is. Maybe he is looking at changing how we play. But if he is looking at going to a 4-2-3-1, I still think Salah makes more sense in that number nine position. 
than anyone we could bring in. I also think in a 4-2-3-1, Salah as the nine is better than Salah as the right winger, especially as he ages. So if we were doing something like that, again, I think an Nkunku who can slot in as the 10 makes more sense. In a 4-3-3, Nkunku fits in perfectly as a nine, a false nine type as we've seen this season. And in a 4-2-3-1, I think he fits in better as a 10 with Salah as the 9. Now, we'd still need to buy a right winger then. But if we had bought a Love Romagia and had a Harvey Elliott, those two can cover that right wing role absolutely fine. So, yeah, as much as I love Darwin, and look, if we sign him, I'll be delighted because I do think he'd be a really good player for us. I think he'd score an absolute boatload of goals. It is more of an awkward fit than, say, you know, bringing in Nkunku or Rafinha, who you can see as a more direct fit into the theme. Like, we could buy Rafinha for the right wing and move Sadi, or move Salah into the middle if Sadio left. And, and that's that's an interesting front three, Rafinha, Salah, and Diaz. That's something that could work quite well. Um, the final question we have is from Jamie Book. And I'm going to just give this to you because... I said to you before we started recording, this is near impossible to limit the, to to cut this down. Top five Steven Gerrard performances. You don't have to give five. Give me two or three or four of the ones that really stand out to you when you think about Steven Gerrard as a Liverpool player. Um, I mean, Istanbul comes to mind. I think he was one of the ones who really did drag us back into it. Goal aside, he was everywhere wasn't he for for a large part of that second half uh one we mentioned recently his... putting out fires all second half a goal yeah. goal aside he was literally just trying to keep us in that game yeah, by chasing everybody <laughs> cramps closing down and last ditch tackles on a cross basically that's it's what his game was there he was he was pretty immense let's be honest um i think the the game we spoke about recently where he came off the bench and hit a second half hat-trick against Napoli would be a standout for me. Mm. Uh, Probably the only standout moment of the Hodgson era. Well, there were plenty of standouts, just not for the good oh, yeah, It's a good standout moment. Yeah. Um, the Fulham game, I think it was at Fulham, Fulham away where he set up storage with that outside of the boot. Past that game, he actually played really well, and it wasn't like a particularly massive game. I can't remember now if that was the same one or not. That might have been a different game. That was might have been another late. No, I think that's the same game. game I think it was the thirteen fourteen season. And what strikes me about that game is we were still in quite the early days of AI podcasts, and Gags and John Ritchie, who'd both been sampling some um, alcoholic beverages on the evening. Uh, jumped on afterwards. Yeah, so we go 1-0 down. He sets up Sturridge on 41 minutes. Then Richardson scores for them to make it 2-1. Coutinho scores on 72. <laughs> and then Gerard scores to win in penalty on 91 after Johnny Heitinger, uh, former blue secret red, gifts us a late penalty. Um, and then Gerard got booked for his celebration after scoring it, as far as I can remember. Gags and John Ritchie jumped in a podcast, fairly loaded, and they just basically giggled for 45 minutes. Yes, that that uh, that does sound memorable now. Um, 
I'd probably put in the Manchester United game as well at Old Trafford. Uh, I'm sure we all know which one I'm talking about there. I think that was possibly one of the best Gerard Torres combination uh, performances that I saw. There was loads and loads of really good goals between the two, but I think for an all-over match, that was maybe one of the best ones. And then the Real Madrid one as well, but that was more of a the entire team was great rather than mm. just Gerard. Yeah, that's that's a good shout. The the team were unbelievable that night against Real. The game at Old Trafford that season was he was just he was on a different level. Their midfield could not cope with him at all. There's obviously his FA Cup final where he was a bit special. Um, I remember one of the League Cup finals, the the one we beat United in. Um, he was outstanding on the day as well. Um. He didn't play well in this game. In fact, he was terrible. But Blackburn away under Hodgson always stands out because he, I, he, I will remain convinced for the rest of my life that he missed that penalty on purpose because <laughs> he just wanted Hodgson gone. Um, yeah, Istanbul, obviously, the, take it, the first 45 minutes, the whole team was, was crap. But he came out in the second half like a different type of animal, moved, moved into that more advanced position. Played there until we got three three, and then basically had to become like the world's fastest medic, rushing around, slapping plasters everywhere, trying to cope with Kaka from midfield. Um, that left back they brought on, Serginho was it the left back that came on for Real? Sergin- for for AC Milan, rather uh, AC, yeah, Serginho and was it Kaka Kaladze was the other one. And he just he would not let them have it because we were playing in that second half. We were playing Vladi Schmitzer as our right wing back. Yeah. So Gerard was having to double time across to help him, and then try and help out Didi and Jabi in midfield because that midfield of Pirlo, Seedorf, Kaka, and Gattuso to a lesser extent, but those other three. We're just pinging the ball around left and right. When you watch that game back, if you cut the six minutes where we get our three goals, if you cut that out for 84 minutes, they were perfect. Like, the gulf between the two teams in those 84 minutes was absolutely enormous. But because we had that six minutes and because of what he was able to do, and then obviously into extra time as well. They were far better than us next time. But again, it was him. He wasn't able to beat them on his own. But what he was able to do was stop them beating us. And it was just... For a guy who I've, I've criticised many times as not being the most defensively aware player in the world, he was astonishing that night in terms of his appetite to just not lose the game. It wasn't even to win the game. It was just to not lose the game. Let's give ourselves a chance. Let's just let's just keep going and give ourselves a chance. And if we get an opportunity, we have to take it. And obviously our opportunity came in penalties and we won. But there's some early Gerrard as well. Like some of the games in the Europa League run, other UEFA Cup as it was back in 01, uh, he was outstanding in the final. He had a Champions League game against Chelsea, where he was unbelievable as well under Rafa. He had a couple of them. Uh, just a different breed of footballer. 
A di- imagine, just imagine if you could put a 23-year-old Gerrard into this current Liverpool team. We might never, ever lose again. It might just be that. This this is the team he deserved. He deserved better than he was given. This is the team he, he deserved, Carol. Yeah, I mean... I can only dream about what would have happened with that, but he'd, he'd fit it perfectly. He'd have that protection behind him where he was always best when he had it. And even when we think about Gerard's most effective role, not the one he want, he liked most, but when he was out on that right-hand side, it's kind yeah. of what our number eight does now as well, isn't it? You know, dovetailing out to that flank, able to put in deliveries as well as get into the area to attack. I think he would have, uh, I think he would have liked it very, very much, to be honest. But here you go. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. His imagine see, if you had him, you really would want someone like Darwin, like a, a nine who's just so dominant in the air. Because just imagine the service you get from Gerard and Trent on the right, and then Robbo on the left. Like if you had someone Jota's great in the air, don't get me wrong, but if you had like a six one, six two version of Jota who was a bit more physical, they might get 50 goals in a season. It would just be ridiculous, the service they'd be getting game after game after game. It'd be disgusting. We were robbed by Steven Gerrard's parents not waiting 10 years to have him. Um, actually, it would probably need to be 15 years, but, you know. Such is life. Right, we can't dilly-dally any longer. You must take your punishment, Carl. Unai Emery's Villarreal in the Champions League on Wednesday this is a game nobody expected. This is not one of the teams that was on anyone's shortlist to make the Champions League semi-final. They were in a group with Manchester United, Atalanta and Young Boys. They conspired twice to lose games to Manchester United that they should have won. They drew with Atalanta. They beat Young Boys twice and they beat Atalanta away in the final game to sneak into the knockout stages. They played a 1-1 draw with Juventus at home, then went to Turin and won 3-0. Then they played out a 1-0 win over Bayern Munich in the first leg. And we both thought, and I'll join you in this, we both thought Bayern are going to smack the life of them when they get them back to the Allianz. It won't even be funny. They'll score in five minutes and then they're just going to romp to victory. It took them 52 minutes to score. And then Bayern just did one of the weirdest things I've ever seen and forgot that they have to play both directions. Gifted a counter-attack to Villarreal and Samuel Chukwesi, who's had a fairly poor season in the 88 minute, gets on the end of a cross to put it into the back of the net past Manuel Naur. And here we land... Here we land, Villarreal versus Liverpool. Your thoughts on Villarreal's season on the whole? You obviously watch more Spanish football than I do. What do you make of them on the whole? Two different teams at home and away. Um, I'm going to try and talk about them here without any references to my opinions of the manager as a whole, right? Just this season. Let's look at that. Bayern Munich second leg, right? This is what you get from Villarreal. They were quite compact. They were quite um, defensively inclined. Without that 88th minute shot from Samuel Chukwueze, which sent them through, their XG for the game was 
0.15. Now, this is obviously quite extreme. It was a quite extreme situation. They needed to stay in the tie and not lose it and all the rest of it. And that's fine because they did exactly what they needed to and then took advantage of the one situation which fell their way. But basically, they created, they had, and they attempted nothing for the rest of that second half. And that has often been the case with them. Again, not quite to that extreme, but away from home, that is what you're pretty much going to get from them. They'll try and get a counter-attacking situation if they can, but they're not too bothered if they don't. The Juventus game, I cannot explain in any way, shape, or form. They won 3-0 at Juve, and I... I still don't know what happened in that game. It's just, I'm just keeping that one uh, out of my mind completely. That's in part because Juve aren't very good. Like, yes, this is, it is. They this had is a not a good Juve team. That, but mm. even so, even so, that was as, as extreme the other direction as the Bayern non-attacking one was for that game. So the rest of the time, in, in league play, let's say, generally, they're going to be a counter-attacking side. They're going to play 4 4 2 or one just off the forward line. They are going to use very, very quick players either on one flank and up front or if they're feeling particularly ambitious on both flanks and not up front. And they will basically look for two or three players to always, always be breaking up play, playing little quick exchanges of person. They have a couple of players, one in particular, Dani Barejo, whose set-piece delivery is superb, like among the best in Spain, and it has been for a number of years. When he's on his day, he is... Not too dissimilar from someone like Tony Cruz in the way that he can uh, keep the team moving, keep possession for extended periods of time when they need it, big switches of play when they need it, look to release people in the channels if they're making runs off the ball, that kind of thing. So he's you know one of the, the fulcrums of their play all around. Weirdly, for people who don't or haven't seen him since he left the Premier League, Francis Coquelin has actually been a really big player for them as well. Uh, he's as combative as you remember, sometimes starts centrally, sometimes a little bit wider, or dovetailing between the two with uh, uh, Manu Trieros, for example. He might miss this game injured, though, and it'd be quite a big loss for them, actually, if he is, especially with the away leg, I would have thought. Uh, away from home, that's that. At home, they're a bit more expansive. They're obviously a bit more on the front foot. They have a lot more confidence about attacking play themselves. You look at their home results and away results, it's almost a mirror image of, of each other, really. Uh, they lost a couple of games earlier on this season, one to Barca and one to Osasuna randomly, but those are the only home league matches they've uh, lost all season. Away from home, they hadn't won any up until the end of December. They got a couple of wins in February and they won one recently against Getafe. That's it. Again, it's not something that Unai is renowned for uh, during his career. They're seventh in La Liga and they finished behind Man United in the Champions League group stage. That mm. kind of tells you where they are. You know, they If they do go out or they lose in the final, it's likely they'll only be in the Europa Conference League next season. They are in the Champions League, obviously, as a result of winning the Europa League last season. And we know that Unai loves his cup runs and all the rest of it. He knows how to get a result across two legs. It's interesting, both from Liverpool's perspective and Villarreal's, I think, the way that these two legs are going to go with Liverpool being at home first. We're really, really good at home, but we haven't won either of our two knockout legs at home. Mm. It's a little bit odd, but that's how it's worked out because we kind of got the job done first leg away from home straight away and then have been a bit mad and hit and miss against uh, Inter and Benfica on home soil, obviously. Whereas they've had to go away from home second and now they're going to do it first. So it's a bit of a change and we'll see how it goes. Their recent form has been all right uh, in terms of uh, the last, I think, five unbeaten now. 
But again, I'm going to have to kind of point to a couple of them. One is obviously the Bayern Munich match. We've just been speaking about that. I'm not really sure how they managed to do it. One was against Valencia, who rotated the entire team before the Copa del Rey final. So again, that's a, a little bit of a gimme there at the weekend. Or before the weekend, I should say. And uh, obviously they're one against Getafe as well, which is neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, they're very... They are a very middle-of-the-road team. Uh, and it's not surprising because, with the greatest respect, they have a middle-of-the-road manager and they have middle-of-the-road players. I mean, if we go through the squad, uh, Geronimo Rulli, he's he's a good goalkeeper. He's not a great goalkeeper. He's bounced around a little bit. He was also on Man City's books for a while, though they never they never actually played him. Um, he was on loan consistently. Sergio Asensio w- would have maybe become an outstanding goalkeeper, but he had three or four ACL tears. So, you know, there's that. Mario Gasper is fairly average. Raul Albiol was a good defender in his prime. He's well past that now. He's still a reliable central defender, but he's not someone that would be a standout player. Pau Torres is probably the best player at the club. Um, Juan Voigt, I mean, or Foyt, he was at Spurs and didn't pull up any trees. Purvis Estupinen was, where was he on loan a couple of years ago? Um, I want to say Osasuna, Granada Osasuna, one of those. He was really good on loan there. He was owned by Watford. They never decided to keep him. Albi Moreno, we know all about, but obviously he's out with the torn. Is it a torn ACL he has? Um, Asa Mandy, I think, is a very average central defender who was at Real Betis for a few years, was linked with us, but it never really made any sense. Uh, Alfonso Pedraz is a decent left back, but that's about it. Serge Aurier, I mean, everybody remembers how he was at Spurs. Danny Parejo has always been a very good old arsenal of ability that he has. Uh, Ibura, again, he's a, a decent player. He was at Leicester for a couple of years, didn't really work from there. Lo Celso hasn't worked in the Premier League. Trigor, as you mentioned, Chukwesi hasn't a good year. Cochin was at Arsenal, didn't pull up any trees. Jeremy Pino's very exciting. Gerard Moreno's probably the one that should have had a better career because he is a very good striker, but for some reason the big clubs just never came calling. Uh, Al Salsa, I think, is sort of the same. I think he's a much better bench option than starter. And then Arnaud Danjuma, who I want to ask you about, who is having a good season without question. He's he's cooled off after the amazing start he had to the year. But he was with, with Bournemouth for a couple of years, uh, did little or nothing in the Premier League, and then obviously had a really good season in the Championship. What do you make of him? Like... Is he someone that is good enough to potentially play for a club like us? Because he has been linked. Um, I wouldn't put him quite as high as that. I do think he can play for a Champions League level side. I think when we did the Dortmund podcast, I think I picked him as the forward in the end. Him or Cody Gakpo, I can't remember now. Uh, But he was definitely in the conversation anyway. I, I think he's a really good second forward, basically. A runner who can do the channels, he can play up front, he can sort of go beyond the nine if you play uh, split forwards. He's very, very quick, which suits obviously how they play, um, especially away from home. Like he had a really, really hot streak, like you mentioned. It's not been like a, a consistent thing in terms of his goal scoring all season long, but he's had like little bursts where he'll get a couple of goals or two or three goals in a big game, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say he's like the most 
reliable for them, but in the Champions League, he has scored fairly consistently. I think he got four in the group stage and a couple in the knockout so far. So can't really argue with it when that's his first campaign in Europe. But also, like I said, that's kind of lent to the fact that they've exploited a lot of counterattacks. He's really good at running the channels. He can carry the ball for them and uh, make sure that the team can get 30, 40 yards upfield sometimes. It's not going to be quite the same way as when we played Benfica and they used um, Darwin for that, for example. That was a lot more hold-up play, turn the defender, use that power to sort of get the wrong side of the centre-back, that kind of thing. Whereas Dan Juma's a lot more about manipulating the ball, quick footwork, got pace to knock it beyond and run if he wants to do that. That will probably impact on Klopp's uh, selection at the back, I would imagine. So just looking at his his goal log for the season, um... He only played four games. He didn't play in the first game. Played four minutes in the second game. Then he made. Then he played twenty-seven minutes. He scored then in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In eight appearances, in his first eight real appearances, including one off the bench, he scored five goals. And then he had some injuries. He wasn't in the team for a while. But he's only scored five goals since October in the league. Now, admittedly, he did miss for the better part of two months. But he got three against Granada and two against Valencia. He's only scored in two games since the 26th of October domestically. Now, like you said, he has done well in the Champions League. He scored against Atalanta in the home game. He scored against Young Boys in the home game. Two against Atalanta in the away game, scored away to Juventus and at home to Bayern. So he has played well in the big games. He also has four assists on the season, three domestically um, and one in the Champions League. But he he has been quite streaky. Like He had that hot start and everybody said, oh, Liverpool made a mistake in not buying him because he was scoring in the league, he was scoring in the Champions League, he was playing really well. But he, he's just been very, very streaky. Like, there's a little bit of Memphis about him, and I wonder if he could be sort of a Memphis light if used in that centre-forward role. Um, but I'm just, like, I, I watch him play, and he, there's no doubting he's talented. It's just a matter about what the maximum level, like, what is his apex as a player? And I I think he falls just short. Like, like you, I think he could play for a Champions League team. I think he could play for Arsenal or Spurs in where they are now and help them get Champions League. But I don't know that he's a starter in a team that wants to win the Premier League title. No, I don't think so. I don't think he's he's proven consistent enough for that so far. And also, the way that most of the very top teams play is not quite as counter-attack and style as this. You know, There'll be elements of it. We're as good an example as anybody else in that we're lethal on counter-attack but we don't play to just counter-attack whereas that's kind of his role here is to lead that break from deep repeatedly he's not someone who's gonna uh, necessarily combine loads of uh, link-up play in the final third or be the player who is gonna consistently lead a high press and then be able to um, have those combinations of passes and, and quick exchanges and all that around the edge of the box I don't think that's really his strength if he was playing for a team regularly in control of the game, I wouldn't be surprised to see him revert to that left-sided role in a three, for example, rather than be the nine in that situation. But like I say, he's done really well when they've had two up front or one just off the other as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's very fair. 
So he'll definitely be one that we have to keep an eye on. But they have suffered an injury blow with the with the Moreno injury. Uh, Gerard, that is obviously Albi's been out for a little while. Do you think that impacts how they play? Do you think could Emery go with a different type of setup, or what are you expecting to see in this game? Are you expecting four four two or a four five one, or, or what do you think he'll do? Yeah, four four one one. If he if he's not fit, if he is. He could still play the same role and move Danjuma wider, but I'd expect him to keep him up top, to be honest. So I think if uh, Moreno's not fit to start, it'll be Gio Celso plays just off. So it'll be sort of one behind one, effectively. And Celso will drop in to make a fifth midfielder out of possession if they need it or if they're under sustained pressure from Liverpool. But I don't think that the overall uh, shape of that midfield four will change regardless. It, it really will be, a if they're very, very deep, a four, a four, a one, a one. You can see that compact line of four and this is not so much a, an emery thing as a, this is what they've done and how they've played and how they've recruited players for years and years and years and it works well for them you know someone like manu Trieros, for example came through as a slightly wider midfielder for them and then became a central midfielder starter all the time and now he sometimes shifts back out to the other side of the pitch again and that's because he's been there and they've played this season this this way for all the time, I think there's maybe one manager in the middle who tried to change it and didn't do particularly well, but basically they're a 4-4-2 team or a variation of that in attack. So I don't expect there to be massive changes at all. I don't think that this is a game where you know you should expect them to suddenly go to the back three or anything like that. That's just not how this club does it. It'll be Foyt right back, for example. The one change they could make is to play Serge Aurier as an extra uh, defensive option down that side, so they kind of have you know a fullback ahead of a fullback, but again, that's just because Lo Celso is going to be used as a number ten if uh, Moreno's not fit to play. So then you've got Parejo, Capoe, and Trigueros as three of the four midfielders, and then we'll see who's fit for the other one. Yeah, so when we look at their team, they played the same starting eleven against Bayern in both games: uh, Rulli in goal, Foyt, Albiol, Torres, and Estupanan as the back four. Lo Celso right side of midfield, as you suggested, he might be the one, he probably will be the one that will move in to replace Moreno in the one-and-one with Dan Juma, uh, which could leave a slot there for for our Aurier to come in. Capoue and Parejo in central midfield. And they had Coquillin on the left of the midfield in both games. Um plus Danjuma and Moreno up front. So, Cockeen, did you say he's he's out of this game, is he? He, he probably will be. They, they haven't confirmed whether or not he's, he's back yet, but he, uh, he missed the um, uh, Valencia match and has been struggling for training, apparently. So, probably, at the very least, on the bench, but I don't think he'll make it back for the game. Okay, so if Trigueras comes in there on the left, that's basically what it will be. It will be him, Pareo, Capoue, and probably Aurier coming in on the right-hand side, assuming Lacelso is the one that moves into the, the front two positions. Is there any alternative for them? Is there is there a Chukwesi possibility? Is there um, a Jeremy Pino possibility that maybe he puts one of them up front with Danjuma and just wants that pace on the counter. They don't have that tactical discipline to drop into the midfield and form the five the way 
Moreno does or the way Lacelso would if he plays there, but it would give them more of a threat on the counter, especially if they use Danjuma as sort of a target. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, agreement there from from Molly in the background. I think um, it's the only real option that they have is to use someone who's a bit more of an outlet. They've got Bull Idea who, uh, who could play up front as well, and Dan Juma just off him. Again, same sort of thing. He's, he's a rotation sort of forward. Good finisher, good hold-up play. Decent amount of pace. Um, so the option is either Los Celso as the link player or Los Celso tucking in from the right-hand side, let's say, and two more rapid outlets. Yeah, I would presume Pino over uh, Chukweze just based on what they've done for most of the season, but Jeremy Pino has had a little spell out of the side as well recently. So either way, I would imagine that that is whichever one starts, that's probably what we used to call the graveyard shift under Julio. You know, Thompson, Murphy and Gerrard all in rotation, and whichever one started, you knew they'd be substituted later on in the game. And it's kind of the, the henderson Cater bit now for us. It's probably the one they look to change first without actually changing anything. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, what about us then? Let's talk about Liverpool and what we might do in this game. So I think we were all surprised when we saw Keita, Fabinho and Thiago in midfield yesterday. Do you think that hints at Jordan Henderson starting this game? Yes. So the next don't, question don't then is... starting all the time, do you? Don't see the three starting all of the games. They can't. Not all of the games, but I I would have thought Henderson would have started yesterday and then Newcastle and then these three would start the two European games. But um, it'll be interesting to see what he does. So we'll assume Trent will be where he normally is. Rob will be where he is. Virgil will be there. And obviously Alisson will be there. The... The right-sided centre-back role, I thought Matip had an odd game yesterday. Moments where he was good, moments where he was less than good. And some of his passing and dribbling looked a little bit hesitant, where he's normally quite confident in those areas. I would still say he's the better option for this game, because I don't know that we'll need what... Ibu gives us in terms of the physicality, but is there an argument that maybe that Ibu's recovery pace should get the nod here. I think so, yes. And I also have... I don't think it'll be quite as as literal as this, but I also wonder whether, um, which we've seen before in different positions, Klopp has kind of put it in his mind that one of them plays the league and one of them plays in Europe. I don't, Like I said, I don't think it'll be as exact and as, as linear as that, but Kanate's played, um, the, I think, the first leg against Inter and then both legs against Benfica. And he's mm. sort of come out for the league and, and back in for for the cup games for the most part, obviously. Um, now, I'm sure there'll be an element of crossover, but he doesn't play that much in the Premier League. I think he's only played like once since the New Year's Day or just after New Year's Day game in the Premier League. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's Kanate comes back in for this one. And although the physicality thing might not be an issue, I definitely think that like Dan Juma's pace, for example, is going to be one of their biggest weapons that we have to deal with. So maybe for that alone, you want Kanate's recovery runs. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So if we say Ibu there, uh, my assumption is Fabinho starts. I think we we agree. I think Henderson probably will start, given he didn't start the derby. Um, So who's the third midfielder then? Because obviously Naby came off. Thiago has played 170 of the last 180 minutes. 
is this a Naby start or do you think Thiago starts the third game in a row? See, I would say that Thiago was best place to play this game, but then with him starting so many recently, I don't know whether that's, you know, he's got to come out at some point, hasn't he? So I don't know whether we're going to make the decision over whether to start him in this one or the weekend, for example, because there's very, very little time between the end of the first leg and the start of the Newcastle match. Mm. So there's, there's definitely going to be a few changes there. And it, I kind of wonder, we kind of glossed over it there, but I wonder whether there might be a change at fullback as well. You know, with this being the home leg, we would expect to dominate possession. We would expect to probably create a few chances because we're going to have at least one fresh forward, you would imagine. We'll get there in a minute. But there, there will be people who can run in attack and people who can create a lot in attack, regardless of who starts. So I wonder whether he thinks that because this is not straight knockout, we've got another game to go, maybe this is one he can change. I don't know, let's say Joe Gomez comes in or something like that. Yeah, I I don't know that I'd want Joe when I think we'll need Trent's playmaking in this game because they'll be very much in a deep block. Um, but I could certainly see Costa starting over Robbo if he wanted to give one of them a bit of a rest. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible given, like you said, it is the home game. We do have Newcastle on a short turnaround. And that's obviously a massive game. And they're a team in form, second most points in the league since New Year's Day. Uh, they're now up to ninth. And Eddie Howe has, to his credit, done a very, very good job. But I still think this has to be the primary focus. I think, you know, we can say, oh, it's only Villarreal. But Bayern said the same. I'm sure Juve said the same. Mm. United said the same before the Europa League final last year. And all of them got found out in the end. So I, I think he will want to go as strong as possible with you know some safe rotations such as bringing in Henderson, bringing in Ibu. I don't know that he will necessarily trust anyone at fullback, even though I think he's Costas is certainly gaining his trust. I don't know that Joe Gomez has his full trust yet. Not at fullback, at centre back maybe, but even at that, he's the fourth centre back. I don't think he has it at right back for a game like this. I think he's pro if he if he does rotate the fullbacks, I think it might be for the Newcastle game. And it probably makes more sense to do it for the second leg anyway, if we're gonna be a little you know, if we get a, a decent result in the first leg, then you can have someone who's a little bit more cautious or a little bit mm. more hold your ground in the second leg, can't you, rather than having to go for it because you've only got yourself a, a one nil lead or a draw in the first leg, I suppose. So we might have to miss out on Thiago for, for the Newcastle game then, I would imagine. Um, because I, I really do think that this is a game that we're going to benefit from what he brings to the pitch and mm. where he is at the moment. You know, we're, we're talking about facing a very, very compact side. Like Villarreal have one of the best defensive records, whatever about results and whether they win or not, they have one of the best defensive records in Spain and they have shut out Bayern Munich for long periods and they didn't let uh, Juventus obviously get in and score against them. It, it's not terribly easy to break them down. They're not a side that goes out and wins games all the time, but they don't habitually lose too many either and we will need that element of creativity so I, i'd be in obviously fitness and everything dependent i'd be very very tempted to start diago in this one regardless yeah i think so i think so if you look at the last the two games against Bayern, um in the home leg Bayern had 68 percent of the ball in the away leg they had 62 percent in the home leg they had 23 shots and in the away leg 22 shots Villarreal will allow teams to shoot. They just limit where they shoot from. 
they're very good at limiting teams to low probability opportunities. And for us, one of the ways we can create high probability opportunities is by having Thiago there with that kind of lock-picking ability. Like you said, Villarreal have one of the best defensive records in La Liga. Only Real Madrid, who are oh, Sevilla, who are third, and Real Madrid, who are first, have better defensive records. Theirs is joint third best with Real Sociedad. So, and Real Sociedad don't score any goals. They're like the Wolves of um, of La Liga. You know, they've conceded thirty one, but they've only scored thirty two. Whereas Villarreal have scored fifty three. So they're like it's a normal balance to their team. Um, what about our front three then? I'm expecting Salah, Mane, Diaz as the front three because I think that's our best way to spread them out, to try and pull fullbacks into areas they don't want to go to and create gaps that might become opportunities. I expect you're going to be right, but my feeling for this one is that Jota start and centre forward might work well for us. I think this is a... It might movement. turn out to be the game. Yeah, it might turn out to be the game where you need one of those. Basically, what he's been for us as a poacher, isn't it? Um, along with all the other stuff he does, but I mean, inside inside the area, he plays as a for us. Someone who can just glance ahead or towards goal, find space between two good but relatively immobile centre backs. They hold their ground. They don't like go man for man or anything. Um, his ability to finish scrappy goals from close range or to get himself in that you know, space for the cutbacks or the, the balls that are bubbling around the box and find the bottom corner, even if he hasn't done anything for 55 minutes. I think that Jota, this might be a good game to start him, to be honest. It's against centre-backs who, they're well-organised, they're well-protected, they don't have huge volumes of space in behind them, but like I said, they're not that mobile. They're not very quick in terms of acceleration, not not just long distances, because there's not going to be that much space behind them, but even over like... Five ten yards. I don't think Paldor is particularly quick. To be perfectly honest, he's not. No, he's not lightning turning. He's not hugely agile. So obviously, as usual, no problem with Sadio Mane starts. And I think he's in good form in general. But this might be a game I start Jota in. Diaz to the left and uh, man. Sorry, Salah to the right. Salah to the right. Jota to the middle and Diaz to the left with Mane and uh, Bobby. Hopefully available off the bench. That may well be may well be the best way to go. Like you said, they're they're two fairly stuck in the mud centre backs. Torres is just what is your thoughts on Pau Torres as a potential Premier League centre back? Is he one that would suit a, a Manchester United alongside Rafa Varan in a two? Or is he someone more suited to playing left side of a three at Spurs? Uh no, I would say in a two is fine. But more than in the two or the three would be how and where a team plays because Man United basically have no discernible style whatsoever. So we don't know how they're going to play, how high they're going to have the line, play out of defence. Varane, I don't necessarily think that you need an all player out of the back when you've got Varane there, if he is there on a regular basis. And Paul Torres, is, you know, some of his best traits are probably in not necessarily in ball playing in terms of creativity, but certainly having that composure and technique on the ball to, to start moves from the back and put the ball into the areas where you do want to build from. So again, depends on whether they're going to play you know, a really deep playmaker or a double pivot midfield who's just going to be about all the energy and everything like that. So 
he's good enough to play for United, especially considering where they are. But I, I don't see that if they had a functioning team and you know an actual proper way of playing in midfield, which doesn't just rely on decentness in attack and last ditch stuff in defence. I don't see that he's an enormous upgrade on Harry Maguire, to be honest. Unless it's like with a really high line or you've got no Varane either and you need him to be the, the one who's playing out. If you played in the three, for example, I wouldn't see anything wrong with playing Maguire centrally and Pau Torres to the left of him. Mm. You know, you've got one who can do all the heading away and one who can play out a little bit, but I don't think he's a, a massive upgrade on him. And I suppose the big problem then is if you play a high line and David De Gea is your goalkeeper who's terrified to leave his six-yard box, you're going to be in trouble either way. Mm. Carl, before we get a... Pro- Actually, give me a prediction first and then I have one final question for you. 43-0. I <laughs> couldn't resist. Is we cannot lose to this guy. We can't even... We can't even... Uh, look, there's obviously going to be a draw at some point because it's Emery. He's coming to play for the draw. He's coming he, to play for be, the draw. I would suspect that there will be a period of the game where they will maybe be five percentage points above Everton's possession at some stage of the game. You know, I, I expect them to be a bit more adventurous and a bit more counter-attack threat and certainly not as desperate and probably not as divey. But in general, they're going to come here for try and take the second leg back home and still be in the tie. That's that's their job here. That's not just the job that you would expect of a smaller side who would not challenge them for the title in their own league, but of many teams who come to Liverpool for a first leg and they have the second leg home. So that's European plan, basically. So I wouldn't blame them or be surprised in the slightest. And obviously there's plenty of parts of that team to be respectful of, but Liverpool should trounce them. So I'm going to go 3-1. Yeah, I mean, they won't be as cheaty as... I don't think. Don't imagine they'll start time-wasting in the sixth minute as um, as Everton did at the weekend. But uh, I'm going to say Liverpool win 2-0. I'll take a 2-0, and I think if we go to their place with a 2-0 lead, I think we go through comfortably. I don't think they'll beat us in either leg. I think if we can get the business done at home, we can get a draw over there, and then we're, we're good. If we play them over there and they have to come chase the game, I think we'll carve them apart. Um, right, so that's that. That game is Wednesday night, um, the Carl Magic Derby. So do enjoy that one. But one last question before we go, Carl. I want your opinion on something. Uh, Anthony Gordon said that the uh, the penalty incident with Joel Matip, that the reason he went down is because Joel Matip stood on his foot and he felt intense pain what's your thoughts on that largely the same as they were at the moment it happened i don't care get up it wasn't a foul it wasn't intense pain it wasn't intense pain when richarlison went down it wasn't intense pain when any of the other ones went down um you've had enough cheap penalties at anfield to last your team 10 years and to be quite honest unless you make changes it might be another 10 years until you play it sorry Dell has corrected me it was severe pain he said he felt severe pain uh, which again it's, it's absolute nonsense you know what I would have far more respect for him if he just came out and said yeah I did I dived what about it 
and was just brazen about it. I'd have more respect for Guardiola if he came out and just started throwing money at Jeff Stelling and said, yeah, we buy the league. What about who's going to stop us? If these managers and players would just have a bit more honesty and just be like respectful to the fact that most of us are intelligent human beings who can see what's actually happening, I, I think we'd I think we'd be in a far better place. Uh, it appears like Elon Musk is uh, about to finalize a purchase of Twitter, so it may well be time for us all to find something else to do with our days. Uh, we leave it there, Carl. Thank you as always. Anything you've got coming up that you want people to know about? Uh, I will have a piece pre-match for this one on um, on the indie. I will have a piece either pre or post-match for Real Madrid against Man City as well, and the usual stuff before the weekend. Cool. So follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Read his work on the Independent, and this is Anfield when he gets time. Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle and listen to the Two Footed Podcast every day at four PM. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.